Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Alrighty, what book of the Bible are we in this morning? What book of the Bible are we in? John, it's been, I think, 34 weeks. I went to public school, so I'm not really good with numbers, but it's around 34 weeks we've been in John's gospel, and we are going to take a break starting next week, jump into the Spirit-Filled Jesus series. We'll pick John up again in January, John 17, and study the uh, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus all the way heading to uh, Easter season. And uh, as you open your Bible to John 16, What's really interesting is you start to read the Bible. I love you. I love the Lord. I love the Bible. I love teaching you the Bible. So thank you for letting me do that. I actually became a Christian reading the Bible in college. And one of the first things you realize when you start studying the Bible is that God knows the future and God predicts the future. And when God predicts the future, everything happens exactly as God promises. And in the Bible, we call that prophecy. And about 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature, predicting future events when it was written. And so what we're seeing today in John chapter 16, it's prophetic. And and in the larger sense of what I mean by prophetic is, it is God's way of preparing his people for the future. And God wants you to be prepared for your life, but also your eternal life. And so he reveals some details about life and many details about eternal life. And this is what Uh, Jesus is doing here as a leader. There's a bit of a leadership lesson. This is what a good parent does with a child. Okay, here's what's gonna happen. Step one, you're gonna go to school. You're gonna sit in the desk. You're gonna eat your lunch. The teacher's gonna teach you. And then I'll pick you up. You know, you've not been, you know, dropped off never to be picked up again, first day of school. This is what a coach does with a team. Okay, we're gonna take the field. It's gonna hurt like crazy. Eventually it'll be over and uh, we'll regroup. This is what uh, a commander tells a military troop. Okay, we're gonna go into battle. Here's what I need you to do. Here's how it's gonna go down. This is what we do. We try to anticipate, okay, what's coming so that we can align our resources to prepare for the future. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus is doing today. He is hours from his death on the cross in our place for our sins. He knows his future is to die and rise. And then he is preparing his followers. That would include you and I to prepare for the future that God would have for us. And so we're gonna cover all of John 16 today. We're gonna go really fast. It's gonna sound like I'm auctioning off verses. And we're gonna start in John chapter 16, verse one through six, where pain is part of the process. Here are the words of the Lord Jesus. Yay, we get to hear from Jesus today, amen? I don't know if you're listening to the news on the way in, it's all bad news. Jesus has some good news. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus warns those of us who are believers that gravity is always against us, right? If you wanna be unfaithful to your spouse, if you wanna be unfaithful to God, if you wanna fall away, that's really easy because the gravity is against you. You need to know that the Holy Spirit comes to lift you up in a world that is trying to drag you down. And it is possible to remain faithful to the God who has remained faithful to you. And Jesus instructs us that you don't have to fall away. You don't have to. And he tells them what's going to happen to them. They'll put you out of the synagogue. That is their equivalent of church. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, this gets really dark, really fast, will think he is offering service to God that there is a grave danger in misguided religious zeal, that some people will think that they are doing God's will when in fact they are opposing God's will. They are going to oppose Jesus and they think they are honoring God. And in fact, he is their God. That is the irony of all of this situation. 
And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, that when the hour comes, Jesus here is prophesying, promising, anticipating the future. That when the hour comes, when this all comes to pass is what he is saying, you may remember that I told them to you, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus says, I'm telling you some things that you may not fully anticipate the significance of, but when the moment of need arises, these things will return to your remembrance. How many of you have had that where you learned something, you didn't think it was a big deal, maybe it was from the Bible or a Bible teacher or a Bible study, and then you hit a season of life. And in that moment, it was a timely word from God that absolutely applied to that circumstance. That's why learning God's word is never wasted, it's always invested, and you make that deposit of learning, and eventually the withdrawal benefit benefit comes in the future. And what Jesus is saying here is saying that they are going to endure pain. Our first subject today is pain. They're going to have, first of all, tremendous pain because they are put out of or kicked out of the synagogue. That is relational. How many of you have been rejected by family, been rejected by friends, been rejected by coworkers? This is rejection and to be kicked out of the synagogue in that day, it is to have your whole life turned upside down and destroyed. I'll give you an example. Uh, some years ago, someone that I knew, I was, I was been a pastor now about 20 years, a senior pastor, was talking to an international student from a Middle Eastern country that was largely Islamic. And they had a curiosity about Jesus. They were studying in the US at a state university uh, through the reading of the Bible and studying of Jesus. They actually fell in love with Jesus and became a Christian. And they called their parents and said, you'll never guess what happened, I became a Christian. And their parents said, do not call us ever again. We are going to hold a funeral for you. And the family held a funeral. And from that moment forward, that member of the family was considered dead. No inheritance, no support, no relationship, no communication. To be kicked out of the synagogue is to have a similar experience. Your whole life is altered in an instant and everyone and everything that was familiar to you is now foe against you. So they are going to suffer relationally, he tells them. They are going to suffer financially. Through this experience, they will lose their business contacts. They will lose their inheritance. Anything that was giving them any financial liquidity or security for the future will be eradicated. Is that you? Is your pain today relational? Is your pain today financial? In addition, they will suffer emotionally. He says that sorrow will fill their heart. Our heart is supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but there are times that in addition to the filling of the Holy Spirit, there is the filling of sorrow in the human heart. These are seasons of grief and mourning and loss and death and destruction. This is where the heart has a funeral because life has become so painful. In addition, they will suffer spiritually. And he says that in the name of God, you will be hated and opposed when you are doing the will of God. Sometimes my friend, we suffer for doing the wrong thing. Sometimes we suffer for doing the right thing. Sometimes we suffer because we are rebelling against God. Sometimes we suffer because we are obeying God. And then in addition, they're going to suffer physically. They will ultimately be killed, put to death. What is your suffering today? What is your pain today? Is it relational, financial, emotional? Is it spiritual? Is it physical? Jesus here is anticipating his own pain and he is predicting for them their pain and he is prophesying for you and I our pain. 
And let me just tell you a little bit about what happened to the first followers of Jesus. We have this myth in American Christianity that if you're in the will of God, everything will be easy, everything will be great, nothing will be hard. That my friends is heaven and we ain't there yet. The road to heaven is paved with tears, problems, pains, troubles, trials, and that is the path of Jesus. There is always a shortcut to hell. There is only the long path to the kingdom of God. Jesus is about to traverse this road and he invites us to pick up our cross and follow him. Stephen did, he was the first martyr in the early church in the book of Acts. He was the first Christian put to death, fulfilling Jesus' prophetic promise. And shortly thereafter, history outside of the Bible records that perhaps 2000 believers were killed. If you read the Bible, there are books named after authors. You ask what happened to them? Well, Matthew, who wrote a book of the Bible, he was murdered with a long handled ax and run through with a sword. What about James, uh, Jesus' brother, who writes a book of the Bible? At the age of 94, he was beaten, stoned, and clubbed in the head with a, with a club. Now imagine you live to 94 and then they kill you. Um, in addition, uh, there is uh, James, Oh, excuse me, Matthias, he replaces Judas. He was stoned and beheaded. Mark, who wrote a book of the Bible and has an incredibly attractive name, he um, <laughs> was torn to, just an observation, he was torn to pieces by a mob. Jude was crucified. By Bartholomew was beaten, crucified, then beheaded. Thomas was run through with a spear. Luke, who writes the book of Luke and Acts, he was hanged to death. Simon, who was reportedly crucified, uh, also had a similar experience as Andrew, who was Peter's brother. They went to um, crucify, punish Andrew, and he preached the gospel and the political leader, leader overseeing his execution was converted. And then they both were martyred and put to death. Um, in addition, Peter, who writes a book of the Bible, bearing his name, actually first and second Peter, and he's the leader of the disciples. He was present for these words of Jesus. They came to crucify him. And he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Hang me upside down. And they did. And the only one that did not die a martyr's death was John, the author of this book. He lived to be about a hundred years of age. History outside of the Bible records that they boiled him alive. Right, next time you boil an egg, they boiled a man and he didn't die. Imagine what his skin looked like and what kind of pain he endured for the rest of his life. He was then exiled to the island of Patmos. My family and I have been there. It's, it's a very isolated, desolated place. And then eventually he came back and preached, but he was opposed and hated for the rest of his life. And John was there to preach the funeral. He's the longest living, last living disciple of Jesus. He gets to see everyone else put to death and he preaches their funeral as his heart is filled with sorrow. What does this mean, friends? It means that pain comes in life. Two things I wanna make note of. Number one, Christian leadership is about sacrifice for the benefit of others. Christian leadership is about sacrifice for the benefit of others. You wanna be a good husband? Sacrifice for the well-being of your wife and children. You wanna be a good mother? Sacrifice for the well-being of your husband and children. You wanna be a good business leader, good ministry leader, good civic community leader. The example and also the exhortation of the Lord Jesus is sacrifice for the benefit of others. We live in a world 
filled with takers. There are hardly any givers. Everyone does what is in their best interest. Hardly anyone does what is in God's interest. And when your interests and someone else's interests do not align, they will betray you to benefit themselves. That's exactly what Judas did. We are not to be like Judas. We are to be like the Lord Jesus. Christian leadership is ultimately about sacrifice for the benefit of others. Number two, the person you become and the legacy you leave is completely dependent on the amount of pain you are willing to endure. Now, I wish I could tell you that character and impact can be bought at Costco or with a click in a card at amazon.com. I really wish I could. I just swipe the card, please send me character and legacy. Glad that's over. Hopefully it's even tax deductible. It doesn't work that way. The only way to get character is through pain. The only way to make an impact is through pain. The only way to leave a legacy is through pain. You've got to push through the pain. How do we know that? That's exactly what the Lord Jesus is in the process of doing. He's going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's going to be falsely arrested, wrongly accused and tried. He will ultimately be publicly shamed. He will be beaten beyond human recognition. He will be nailed through the most sensitive nerve centers of the human body to a Roman cross. He will look down at the feet of his cross and he will see the weeping face of his loving mother. He's got a lot of pain coming. He's going to endure the wrath of God. He's going to substitute himself for sinners. Jesus has a lot of pain but he also has perfect character and the greatest legacy in the history of the world, cause effect. Today, Christianity is the largest movement in the history of the world. It is the longest standing movement in the history of the world. Jesus is the most significant, preeminent and prominent person in the history of the world. If you would like to have character like Jesus and leave a legacy like Jesus, then the price for admission, my dear friend, is pain. I tell you that because I love you and my job is to prepare you for reality. Too many Christians start thinking about when is the rapture, can we leave? It's getting hard and or it's uncomfortable and painful. This must not be God's will. Look at God. He went through it, not around it, not outside of it, right through it. And that is God's will, plan and purpose for you. And that is his instruction and exhortation to them. Now this will get more helpful. This will get more hopeful. This will get more joyful. We got to do a little bad news before we get to the good news, but I need to prepare you for reality because sometimes people will tell you, give your life to Jesus and you'll go to heaven when you die. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes. And in the middle, it's going to hurt. And that middle we call life. Life. I was talking to a friend of mine some years ago. He was an Olympic athlete and now he's one of the coaches for the Olympic team. Great guy, loves Jesus. And I said, what's the key? And he said, the key is always mental. He said, physically, most athletes, they have the capacity to be world-class or even medal winning. He said, what separates the good athletes from the great athletes and the great athletes from the best athletes is mental toughness and fortitude. The amount of pain you're willing to endure will determine the kind of reward you receive. And he said, usually the mind quits before the body does, that the, the body has a certain pain threshold and the key is to mentally learn how to push through that so that on the other side, you can go to another level of leadership and success. Let me tell you this, my friend, you have pain, financial, emotional, relational, physical, spiritual. That pain is an opportunity for you to push through the pain so that your character becomes more like Jesus and the legacy you leave is more like the legacy that Jesus left for us, amen? 
I'm telling you the truth because I'm telling you that this is a world that is absolutely immune to pain and trouble and hardship. And the Lord Jesus Christ, if his example shows us anything, it's that you push through the pain, that is part of the process and get to the other side to walk into the will of God. And so what happens is as he sees pain on his horizon, he sees pain on their horizon, he sees pain on our horizon, there is the propensity and proclivity to be paralyzed by fear and anxiety. Oh no, what will I do? How will I survive? So then he gives another encouraging word. He teaches us about the seven ministries of God, the Holy Spirit, charting in chapter 16, verse seven. And here's what he says. He is telling us when pain comes, so does the presence of God. The presence of God comes into the person who is willing to endure the pain. The key to your life and my life is not the absence of pain, but finding the presence of God so that we can push through the pain by the power of God. I'll read it to you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. There's a lot of people and things that will disagree with the instruction of Jesus and they're not telling the truth, okay? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage if I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is God, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. So we are the Trinity Church. God is Father, Son, Spirit, one God, three persons living in eternal relationship, union and communion. For the sake of our salvation, the second member of the Trinity, the, the, the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ comes into human history, takes upon himself human flesh to endure what we endure and to deliver us from what we have done. The Lord Jesus during his earthly life, he accepted some limitations of humanity temporarily. So he could only be in one place at one time to minister to certain people. After he dies, after he rises, after he returns to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit as the helper to be in and with and for all of God's people in all times and places. And he says, that is a great advantage to us. So I need you to know, if you belong to the Lord Jesus today, you have a unique and privileged relationship with God in the history of the world. You do not need to go to a temple to find God's presence. God's presence comes to make you a temple so that wherever you go, God's presence goes with you, amen? And so you ask, what is this? This is pain in the world and the presence of God in the believer to help us push through the pain in the presence of the world. He goes on and talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he communicates three ministries of the Holy Spirit for the world, those who are not yet Christian, and four ministries of the Holy Spirit for the believer or the church, seven in total. We'll summarize them in a moment. And when he comes, he will convict the world, that is the unbeliever, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We'll examine those three in a moment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. He's gonna die, he's gonna rise, he's gonna return, ascend back into heaven. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He's talking there about Satan and demons and the demonic. And you need to know, many in this world have been educated beyond their intelligence and they neglect and deny any form of personal evil in the world. There is a source of evil. That evil source is personal. It is in rebellion and war against God and also undoing all that God is seeking to do. That is Satan, that is demons. It doesn't matter how many wars we wage, how many dollars we spend, how many medications we prescribe or how many elections we hold. Evil, sin, death, devastation, destruction continues because there, my friends, is a war between the kingdom of God and whom Jesus calls here the ruler of this world. 
And you and I are born like captives in war in the midst of a, a, a tremendous spiritual battle that plays itself out every single day in the life of every person on the earth. Jesus here gives clarity so that we interpret the data in our lives in light of the truth of God's word. He then continues, next slide please. I still have many things to say to you. Jesus has so much to teach. Jesus is never exhausted. His wisdom, his exhortation, his encouragement, his correction but you cannot bear them now. What Jesus is saying is that teaching someone requires being sensitive to their level of maturity and preparation. Paul says it in Ephesians 4, that when we teach someone, we give that which is beneficial to build up the hearer. This is like uh, raising a child. When they're little, you start with certain information and you know that there are other things you're going to teach them, but first it is learning certain things to prepare them to learn other things. This is why we have grades in school. This is why we take tests to graduate. And this is why the Lord Jesus tells us, you have learned some things, celebrate that, rejoice in that. There are other things that you will learn and the Christian posture needs to continually be one of humility. He is teacher, we are student, school class is always in session and there is always another lesson to learn. When the spirit of truth comes, that is God, the Holy Spirit, he, and you're gonna notice and note this language of he. Sometimes God, the Holy Spirit is referred to as it, like an impersonal force in Star Wars. He talks about he, he, his, he, he, right? There's a theme here that the Holy Spirit is personal. He is relational that God the Holy Spirit is not just a force, but rather the presence of God in your life. And he's talking here about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. You are to be that way, I am to be that way as well. We are to listen to the Lord and then echo the Lord and say what the Lord would have us to say. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. That is prophetic, anticipating, preparing God's people for the future. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Pain comes, pain comes, pain comes. Are you alone? No. Jesus already told us previously in John that he would not leave us as orphans, that he would send the Holy Spirit to be the presence and the power of the person of God in our life. For the one who is willing to walk through the pain, to push through the pain, God the Holy Spirit comes to empower them in a powerful way just as he did the life of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, he endured betrayal. He endured pain and hardship and suffering and loss and even faced death and destruction by the presence, the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we start a brand new series, Spirit-Filled Jesus, Live by His Power. I'm gonna give you a free copy of my new book, Lower Your Expectations. You get what you pay for, it's a freebie. But I'm really excited to tell you about how Jesus lived by the power of God and how Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so that you can live by His power. And so the Holy Spirit is sustaining Jesus and Jesus is telling them, he will be faithful to me through the cross, through the resurrection, through the ascension. And the Father and I will send him to empower my people to experience my power and live my, by my power in my presence. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. The first three are in relation to the non-Christian to the world. If you're here, you're not a Christian, we love you. It's good to have you. It's an honor to yell at you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to do so. I do it every week at nine and 11. You can come back and bring a friend. And what I would like to tell you is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit for you is threefold. 
Firstly, he tells us that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is righteousness. Righteousness, what is righteousness? It is a standard of what is right in the sight of God. You need to know that you will not die and stand before a mirror and give an account. That you are not the highest authority in your life. God is to be the authority over your life. And in our world, we tend to think that we are right, everyone else is wrong, we are normal, everyone else is abnormal. And if everyone else would just be like us, then we'd all get along and we'd experience heaven on earth. Once you get married, you realize you're the only person who thinks that, okay? But this is the default of the human mind. I sit on a throne, I know what is right and wrong, I judge others and I am the standard, no. Righteousness realizes that Jesus is the standard, that Jesus is what a normal person looks like. Jesus is what a healthy person looks like. Jesus is what a holy person looks like. And once you understand the righteousness of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, what he says then is you'll experience the ministry of conviction. And conviction is where you compare yourself to the character of Jesus and you realize that there are deviancies and deficiencies in your conduct and behavior. Right, for me, I'll give you an example. I'll just be honest with you. I, I grew up thinking I was a good person. I thought, you know what? I, was, I didn't drink, smoke, do drugs. I never punched anybody that didn't deserve it. I grew up thinking I'm a very good person. And uh, I thought, you know what? God probably grades on a curve and I'm at least a C student. So I'm sure I'll be fine. Everyone else is cordwood. And then Grace, my best friend, bought me a Bible at the age of 17 and I started reading it. And the first thing I realized is that Jesus is very different than me. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I thought Jesus was just like me or pretty much like me. And then I read the Bible and I realized me and Jesus were different. He tells the truth, I don't always tell the truth. He loves his enemies, me, not so much. Uh, in addition, he is very patient and forgiving, uh, but he also endures hardship with great character. And I think to myself, you know, I'm not like Jesus. The first thing that the Holy Spirit teaches the world is righteousness, that Jesus is right. If you wanna understand the simplest definition of righteousness, it's that Jesus is right. What that means is we're wrong. The second thing is conviction. Okay, the way that I am different from Jesus, that's sin, that's folly, that's rebellion, that's the problem, not the solution. And then he says that the third ministry of the Holy Spirit is judgment, judgment. You realize Jesus is the way I am supposed to be. I am not like Jesus. That is called sin, rebellion, folly. As a result, God has a problem with me and there is a judgment. That judgment occurs truly in only one of two places. Judgment either happens at the cross of Jesus where your great God and savior substituted himself, suffered and died in your place for your sins so that you could be forgiven. Or number two, you go to hell to endure the conscious eternal torments in the presence of God forever. Those are the only two options. Let me tell you the truth. Not everybody dies and goes to a better place. Everyone dies and stands before Jesus. And if judgment and justice were rendered for you at the cross of Jesus, you enter into eternal blessing. If you reject that offer, you enter into eternal cursing. I am not a politician. I am not into marketing, PR, or spin. I am not time-sharing, selling condos, all right? My job is to be a preacher of the word of God. My job is to tell you the truth. Your job is to make a decision, the most important decision you will ever make. 
Is Jesus right? Am I wrong? Am I facing judgment? Do I need Jesus? The answer is yes, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. That the whole world is in rebellion against God, that the whole world is under judgment from God. And we live in this world where some people just naturally, because of their rebellious disposition, if you're a person who rejects any authority beyond yourself, you are in trouble. If you are a person who thinks that you are not the problem in your life, but the solution for your life, you are in peril. Jesus comes to reveal to us our sin, the goodness of God, and the forgiveness of sin that comes through the judgment of the sinner at the cross of Jesus. And at this moment, he is going to the cross to substitute himself to suffer and to die. Here's what I want you to know. If you don't know Jesus, you are in grave danger. If you don't believe in Jesus, you are living in the path of the wrath of God. Everything might be working and it might work for you until the day you die and then it never works forever. The most important decision you will ever make, the most important thing you will ever believe is who you believe Jesus is and whether or not you've trusted in him. So I wanna to speak to those who are non-Christians. You may be spiritual, moral, and or religious, but you don't belong to, you don't love Jesus. You're not following Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Some of you would ask, what are you trying to do? Convert me? 100%, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Trying to scare me? You should be scared. You should sleep with a helmet, a cup, and one eye open. You're in trouble. All right, that's just how it is. Shouldn't have said that, but it's true, okay? So that is the ministry. How many of you have looked at Jesus and said, he's right, I'm wrong? How many of you have said, you know what? I need forgiveness. God has the right to judge me. I do not have the right to judge God. If you've experienced that, or you become a Christian today, you've experienced the first three ministries of the Holy Spirit, you are now a believer. Welcome to Team Jesus, we love you. Four ministries of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Number one, the ministry of presence. Jesus says, if I go away, he will come. It is not the absence of trouble, but it is the presence of God that makes life worth living. How do I know that? Because we continually see tragically in the headlines of the news, powerful, successful, accomplished, comfortable people who are depressed and or take their own life. And we think how, how, how in the world could they lose hope? It is not the absence of trouble, but it is the presence of God that makes life worth living. If you had to choose between a painful life with God's presence or a pleasant life without God's presence, I would encourage you to choose the painful life with God's presence because it is God's presence that will help you to push through the pain. The ministry of presence means you are never alone. Jesus here is going to be abandoned by his friends. He is going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, his pretend friend. Jesus is going to be arrested alone, falsely accused alone, tried alone and murdered alone. And he is never alone because God, the Holy Spirit is with him. So it is for the child of God. Even if everyone should abandon you and betray you, the Holy Spirit will never leave you nor forsake you. It is the presence of God in your life. I had this uh, conversation with someone recently, someone they loved had someone die, tragic unexpected death. I said, well, what did you do? They said, well, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't explain it. I, I, I couldn't bring the person back. 
They said, I just didn't want my friend to be alone. So what they did, they immediately booked a plane ticket. They got on a plane, they flew halfway across the country. The friend did not know that they were coming. The friend was in a grieving process, had recently lost someone they loved very much. Knock on the door, person opens the door, stunned, you're here. What are you doing here? I don't want you to be alone. I'm sorry, I can't bring them back. I don't have answers to all your questions, but I am here. That's the ministry of presence. This person held their friend and their friend just started bawling because that's how we unburden. Sometimes the heart needs to have a funeral so that it can heal up and move on. It's the presence of God. You need to know that God is there to comfort you. God is there to unburden you. God is there so that you are not alone. And let me say this, there's a big difference between isolation and solitude. Sometimes when pain comes, people isolate. Isolation is where we're trying to get away from the pain or the problem. Solitude is where we get away from the pain and the problem so we can get into the presence of God. Okay, it's not in my notes, I just thought about it. Maybe it's something that the Holy Spirit has for you. When pain comes, don't isolate, practice solitude. Isolation is just running from the problem. Solitude is running to the Lord, okay? He comes to be with you. The second ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer is he's called the helper, right? What that means is you and I need help. Some of you like to help others, but you don't like to be helped. Some of you like to be leaders, but you don't like to be served. Some of you like to give. You're like, I don't like to take. That is part of the Christian life. We're all needy. And sometimes we need God's help. In fact, we constantly need God's help, right? We need God's help. And God, the Holy Spirit comes as the helper. And if you're encouraged, he will encourage you. If you are hurting, he will comfort you. If you are beat down, he will build you up. If you are anxious, he will calm your emotional state, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to provide the exact help that the believer needs at the moment that it is most needed. I know that many Christians will talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. This is where it is crucial for you, my dear friend. I love you, I'm your pastor. It's an honor to teach you the Bible, but you need a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived by a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit and whatever help he needed he received at the moment of need. So when you're tempted, the Holy Spirit will help you overcome temptation. When your emotions are unhealthy, he will come to give you the emotional life of Jesus. When you are unforgiving of someone because they have battered, beaten, and betrayed you, he comes to empower you to forgive them, not so that they can get away with anything, but so that you can get away from everything. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is very practical. Sometimes we think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as miraculous, sometimes it's very mundane. I need to forgive them. I need to become emotionally healthy. I need to move forward in life. I need to have my heart funeral. And then I need to move forward with the next season and chapter that God has for me. The ministry of the Holy Spirit for the believer, number one, is that of presence. Number two, that of helper. Number three, um, that of teacher. He will guide you into all truth. He will lead you into all truth, that he is the spirit of truth that you and I need to understand, and I just want you to know this, you need the Bible like a person who is in a sea adrift, absolutely needs a life preserver. That's how much you need the word of God. 
that our world is very confusing, that it is filled with deception and PR and spin and confusion and conjecture. It's filled with speculation about God. There is very little revelation from God. God, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible to be written. He illuminates your understanding of the word of God. He is the spirit of truth. He leads you into the truth. And the primary function of truth is to know reality so that you can deal with reality, so you can be prepared for reality. And he is the teacher and he will teach you. And let me tell you this then, when you pick up the word of God, the key is to prepare yourself to hear from God. And that is inviting the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to lead you and guide you in the truth. And more than just a high intellect, it takes a humble disposition to really receive instruction and correction from the Lord. And then lastly, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is one of worship. It says, Jesus rather says, he will glorify me. Uh, the church father Augustine said rightly that once the issue of glory is settled, all the other issues are settled. Glory means weightiness, it means preeminence. It, it means significance. Jesus is not to be on your to-do list. He is to be at the center of all lists. Your family, your life, your job, your finances, your well-being, your hope, your past, your present, your future, your eternity, all needs to be centered around Jesus. It needs to be surrendered to Jesus. It needs to be submitted to Jesus. That, that someone or something needs to be at the center of your life in the position of weightiness, preeminence, and glory. If it's anyone or anything other than Jesus, it is idolatry and it leads to death. I was thinking about it in the first sermon. And this author, John, he writes, first, second, and third John, he writes the gospel of John in the book of Revelation, five books of the New Testament. The last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation is written by John. And it is a foreshadowing of eternity. It shows us the destiny of God's people in the presence of Jesus forever. And in that great book of the Bible, John has as the centerpiece a throne. I think it appears, I'm way off my notes, not that I have notes, but it's, I think it's in 14 of the 22 chapters, the throne appears. And the throne is the center of all of history. All authority comes from the throne. All worship, glory, honor, and praise goes to the throne. Everyone and everything who comes before the throne falls down to worship the one who is seated on the throne. And who is it? It's Jesus, it's John's best friend, Jesus. After his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, after his ascension, John sees Jesus and he sees all the angels and all of the departed saints and they're, they're glorifying Jesus, they're worshiping Jesus, they're singing to Jesus, they're celebrating the victory of Jesus. God does not need worship, you need worship. Your soul needs to be displaced as the center of your existence in life. If you are the center of your life, you will want everyone else to orbit around you and to worship you. You need to love me. You need to serve me. You need to forgive me. You need to encourage me. You need to honor me. And when we sit in the glory seat, we displace Jesus and we destroy ourselves. Glorifying Jesus, worshiping Jesus is saying there's only one throne and one who is worthy to sit on that throne and I am to fall before that throne and I am not to occupy that throne. It is the position of humility. So in a little bit, we're gonna sing. And the reason we sing is we, we remind ourselves of what the angels and the departed saints are doing continually, including right now, and what we will be doing eternally in the presence of God, that is worshiping. And just, just so you know, if you're new, we're not gonna sing songs about you, okay? Like, 
I am amazing, dear universe. I'm here, you're welcome. And we're not singing that. We're singing to somebody else to displace you because humility, the root word of humility literally means to know your place. Our place is not on a throne. Our place is on our face before a throne. That's our place. Now, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He comes to those who are in pain to bring God's presence. And I, I wanna share a brief uh, experience I had a couple years ago. Uh, I'm a Bible guy. I don't know if you've noticed that. I'm a Bible guy. I have a Bible. I like it. I encourage you to have a Bible and enjoy it. But those who tend to be Bible people sometimes are not Holy Spirit people, which I don't understand because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bibles. I don't know how we got there. Like, you know, and so I was talking to this person who is a well-known, I won't name drop, but they're, they, they love the Holy Spirit and they love the Bible. They're actually a very gifted Bible teacher. And I was backstage at an event. I wasn't teaching, I was just loitering. But uh, literally, that's what I was doing. And, uh, and they came up to me and they said, well, you come from kind of the Bible world. I said, yeah. They said, why are the Bible people mean? Why are they judgmental? Why are they so negative? Why are they always telling us who or what they're against instead of who and what they're for? And uh, this is a very godly person that I hold in high regard. And it wasn't public and they weren't being negative. They're trying to figure it out because they're getting criticized for things that were nonsense. And I, it just came out of my heart. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. I said, well, I said, pastor, I said, uh, you believe in the Bible and you believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit as taught in the Bible. I said, if you only believe in the Bible, you don't believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You think, you know what? Somebody needs to convict them. I'll do that. Somebody needs to judge them. I'll take care of that. Somebody needs to be their standard of righteousness. Good thing I'm here. Right. You need help, I'll help you. You need teaching, I'll teach you. Um, you need to be controlled. I nominate myself. If you don't truly believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you will nominate yourself to be the Holy Spirit in the life of someone else. Now, if you're married, this is a deliverance moment for you, okay? <laughs> How many of you, don't raise your hand, but dear spouse, feel free to raise your hand. Problems come in your marriage or your relationships or your family when rather than praying for someone, you decide that the Holy Spirit isn't gonna do the job and you'll pick up where he fails. You need to be convicted. I got that. You need to be taught. Sit down. You need to know what godliness looks like. Take a photo. You need to be judged and I'm here to judge you. If we believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we ask ourselves, Holy Spirit, how are you causing me to become more like Jesus? Holy Spirit, how are you causing them to be more like Jesus? How can I push through my pain? How can they push through their pain? How can we encourage one another to be filled with the Spirit and to become like the Savior? I thought it was helpful. You guys could talk about it on the way home. <laughs> Can I just say this too? Because I will either way. Um, this involves parenting. Some of you parents are like, you know, this child needs God in their life. I'm God. No, you're not. No, you're not. Your child needs the Holy Spirit to convict them. Your child needs the Holy Spirit to judge them. Your child needs the Holy Spirit to reveal to them the righteousness of Jesus. You cannot always be there for your child, but the Holy Spirit can. You don't always know what to teach your, teach your child, but the Holy Spirit does. 
You can't control your child, but the Holy Spirit can. So much of life, so much of relationships, so much of family, so much of marriage, so much of ministry is people who do not believe that the Holy Spirit will do his job and they try to be the Holy Spirit and that leads to a lot of pain and problems. Pain comes to the believer, the presence of God comes to the believer and then Jesus continues telling us that joy comes after sorrow. Okay, we're gonna cover a lot of verses here. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while you will see me, right? It's a, it's a little confusing. It almost sounds like a fortune cookie. You will not see me, you will see me. Right? You're like, what, the, what are we talking about, right? right? Some of his disciples said to one another, they're kind of the apple dumpling gang, right? They never, Jesus is like, here it is. And they're like, oh, I don't get it, right? What is it that he says to us? A little while you'll not see me, then you'll see me because I'm going to the father. So they're saying, what does he mean? What does he mean saying by a little while? We don't know what he's what. We don't know what he's what. Talk about, if you've ever opened the Bible and said, I don't know what he's talking about. You're biblical. Okay, you're biblical. <laughs> Some of these guys are guys that are gonna write books of the Bible. And they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. There's a guy named Peter. He writes some books written by a guy named Paul. And he says in the New Testament, some things that Paul says are hard to understand. If the guy who writes the Bible is like, I don't know. Don't feel bad. Okay, don't feel bad. But what this requires is humility and study and inviting the Holy Spirit. And part of it is you can learn something, but you don't really understand it until you experience it. Some of you have a theology, but you don't have an experience, so you lack insight. And all it takes is a little bit of time and eventually that word will be timely and then you'll know that you know that you know. He continues, next slide please. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. <laughs> I love this. Jesus looks at him and he's like, I know you wanna ask me something, so ask me. How many of you got a kid like this? Right, they come, right? You, you know that they wanna ask. And Jesus is gonna tell them, ask, right? Just ask. Uh, I'll give you a story, uh, adorable. Uh, I, I give away candy sometimes at the Trinity Church. Um, and I usually give it away after service because if they're all gonna be hopped up, I want them to be at your house, not at our house. Um, <laughs> And uh, sometimes the kids will come up to me and they'll ask, uh, so recently a beautiful child was like, we were told not to ask for candy. <laughs> but we were also told if we asked, if you just offered it, we could have it. I'm not asking, just letting you know. <laughs> like, Do you want some candy? Well, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> This is one of, how many of us have those moments with Jesus? We're like, I'd like to ask you. And he's like, well, ask you. are like, well, I don't know. He's like, ask. I know, I know your heart. You're like God's kids and God's affection for you is like a parent. Um, I, I, Jesus said, uh, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while you not see me and again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, weep and lament. There are seasons to weep and mourn and grieve but the world will rejoice. What he's saying is there are things that the world will have a parade for that the believers should have a funeral for. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Hang in there, it's gonna get better eventually. When a woman is giving birth, she's gonna use a birth analogy. We're gonna, we're gonna pull you women in here for a little insight in a minute. She has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, you like babies? Yes! Do you like birthing babies? No. I, I've met many women that are like, I love babies. I've never heard a woman say this. I love birthing babies. <laughs> never heard that. Never. 
Okay, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Next slide, please. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. That's good news that the joy that Jesus gives is the joy of the Holy Spirit, the joy of forgiveness. You know what? You can lose your health. You can lose your marriage. You can lose your job. You can lose your ministry. You can lose your every and anything, but you cannot lose the love of God. And so you cannot lose the source of your joy. It's the one thing that is secure. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, that's according to the will of God, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask that you will receive, that your joy may be full. God wants his people to be filled with joy, overflowing with joy, joy to share with others, to nourish and encourage them. And I've told you before, um, part of my error in my history is that I thought that there were good seasons and bad seasons, that there were pleasant seasons and painful seasons. And the myth that I lived under was just get through it and then there'll be a better season. And then there was another bad season. And I was talking to an old Bible preacher who were driving around in his truck and he said, uh, he said, I used to think that way. And I said, well, then dear Yoda, please enlighten Padawan, you know? And so um, he says, what I've decided is life is like train tracks. I've shared this with you before, that there is good and bad, pleasant and painful concurrently in every season of life. And if I come to you and say, tell me all the good things in your life. You say, well, God's teaching me this. God's showing me that. Tell me all the bad things in your life. Oh my gosh, there's this, there's this, there's this. They're concurrent, they're consistent, they're, con they're congruent. And so what Jesus is saying here, you're gonna have sorrow and joy. The sorrow, they're gonna see Jesus, their God and savior, their best friend hung on a Roman cross, crucified. Sorrow. And then three days later, they're gonna see Jesus risen from death, overflowing joy. And then Jesus is gonna leave. Ah, sorrow. Hey, Jesus is, well, Jesus was back. You know, I mean, then there's sorrow. Oh, but then the Holy Spirit comes. Oh, God hasn't abandoned us. We're back to joy. Oh, we're sent out into the world. Ah, oh, the world hates us, sorrow. And Jesus is gonna say, I've overcome the world, joy. So Jesus here is talking in a way that the women can help us, okay? So how many of you women are mothers? You have children, right? You have children? Here's what we learned from mothers according to the, word, the Lord Jesus. There is a big difference between pain that is purposeless and pain that is purposeful. Pain, pain is in your life. Pain is coming into your life, financial, emotional, physical, relational, spiritual, whatever the case may be. Pain comes. Here's the question. What will you do with it? If you waste it and don't invest it, it'll be purposeless. That's it. I give up on Jesus. I give up on the Bible. I tried Christianity. It doesn't work. I'm going to become critical of God. I'm going to self-medicate. I'm going to spiral down. I will self-destruct because I am a victim and God has failed me and God should repent. That's purposeless suffering. There is purposeful suffering. Jesus suffered, I'm suffering. This allows me to more fully appreciate Jesus' suffering for me. Furthermore, this painful process will birth in me the character of Christ. 
Pain will come. Make it purposeful, not purposeless. And what Jesus is telling us from the analogy and example of a mother is that pain produces life. And pain births new things in your life. A woman who is pregnant, she has pain, she pushes through the pain, new life is birthed. Here's what I'm telling you. If you are in pain, it is God preparing you to birth new life, to birth something new in your life, amen? And the pain is part of the process and you have got to push through the pain. So you mothers help me. I have never had a baby, so I need help, okay? Now I have had some of the symptoms. I have had weight gain, water retention, irritability, um, bladder issues, and uh, difficulty sleeping. Uh, but I've never been pregnant. Pregnant. So for you ladies that have been pregnant, is, is just the process a little awkward? Yes. You walk like this, because gravity is against you. Right? If you laugh, you pee. That's, I don't know why. I mean, we think it's funny, you don't. But if you laugh, you pee. And you feel hot and uncomfortable and you can't sleep at night and it's awkward and it's difficult, amen? It's, there's a pain in the process and there's an awkwardness in the process. And then when the time comes and you really have the, the pains of birth, there's a fear that comes. What's gonna happen? This is gonna hurt, is this gonna go bad? All the fear, all the anxiety, all the worry, what could happen? How many of you ladies freaked out at that moment? Okay, so what they do then, they rush you to the hospital. I was there watching the birth of all five of our children. And there's a lot of pain, right? And women start yelling and it's scary, okay? <laughs> so what they bring in, uh, they bring in the co-pilot, right? The midwife, and she's like, it'll be all right, we'll land it, it'll be all right. And then they bring in the anesthesiologist, what's his job? Legal drug dealer, that's his job. <laughs> this woman needs drugs, she's earned it. So we, with our first child, see Grace is petite and I got a Shrek size head. So you look at the engineering, you're like, this is gonna be a situation. It was, she was in labor for 24 hours. And they come, they're like, his head's big. It's not our fault. And that, you know, that's what the doctor said. So then, so then, so then they come in, the, the anesthesiologist comes in and says, uh, she needs drugs. I was like, oh, for sure. We both do. I, I, I have a group on, I get free drugs too. Like, right, you know, there you go. Just give me some drugs. I need drugs. <laughs> we both need drugs. So then they put your wife's feet up, right? And then they say what? They don't say it like that. They say it like a high school football coach yelling at an offensive line, okay? Push, 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 push. Ladies, does it hurt? Oh yes, it hurts. And what happens, you get birth, life, a baby. That's life. <laughs> That's life. Now, I guess you do have an option in that moment, woman, and that is, I'm not pushing. <laughs> I'm not pushing. Let me just say the seventh birthday will be awkward for you and the child. 
happy birthday. <laughs> you got to push through the pain to see the birth of new life, which you will actually be grateful for. Oh, I love you. You hear that? That's prophetic. Did you hear that? Whoever's got the crying baby, pinch him. Um, we want to hear that. Isn't that a great sound? I'm sorry for the pain in your life. It's an honor to be your pastor. I love you. This church exists because our family, I won't leak or vent, I hope, we hit a place of great pain and we push through it. And the life of the Trinity Church was birthed. So thank you for being part of our joy. Right, when I see you, I feel like a mom that's holding her kid, right? Not exactly the same. <laughs> so ladies, don't send me that email. I'm just sharing my heart and I don't wanna be criticized. But when a woman holds her baby, she'd say it hurt, but I'm glad to be a mom. Whatever God wants to birth in your life, you will enjoy it and celebrate and thank him. And pain is part of the process and you gotta push through the pain. And then Jesus closes with this. And I always say in conclusion, it doesn't mean I'm ending. It just means I feel like you won't pay attention, okay? <laughs> And I want you to hang in there. Team Jesus wins. The, the, the helpful thing is, is if you know the end, you can endure the middle, okay? So I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Real quickly, Bible interpretation. God speaks literally, sometimes plain literal, sometimes figurative literal, Okay. So when it says in Psalms that God wants to gather his people unto himself like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, plain literal or figurative literal? Because God's not a chicken. Okay, God's not a chicken. You're like, I'm not a Christian and I knew that. Right, that's how obvious it is, God's not a chicken. It, so you use plain literal when you interpret the Bible. If that doesn't make sense, then you use figurative speech. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that you will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. Jesus is God. Jesus comes from God the Father. No one in the history of the world, no founder of any major world religion makes this statement. Some of you came from Litchfield Park. Some of you came from Mesa. Some of you came from Gilbert. Some of you come from Scottsdale. Jesus is the only one who says, I came from the Father. I came down from the kingdom. He makes that statement and they believe it and you and I need to believe it. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world, gonna die, bury, rise, return to the Father. Next slide, please. His disciples said, ah, now we know that you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things. So all of you who are know-it-alls, there's only one know-it-all. His name is Jesus. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Okay, here's the, here's the thing. When we come to God, we need to trust God, not test God. It's, it's fine to seek the will of God, but not to accuse the character of God. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? This is my question to you. Do you believe in Jesus? 
Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe he came down from heaven? Do you believe that he lived the life that you have not lived? Do you believe that he died the death that you should have died? Do you believe that he earns the salvation that you cannot earn, that he grants the eternal life that you cannot merit? Do you believe in Jesus? That's the most important decision you will ever make. God is prophetic preparing you for the future and the most important future is your eternal destiny. And all of that is contingent upon how you answer Jesus' questions. Do you right now in this instance believe? That's the issue. Behold, the hour is coming. The day is coming. The future is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, persecution will come, each to his own home and leave me alone. Jesus is gonna die, they're gonna scatter. He's gonna rise, he's gonna return. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, union and communion, always doing everything together. I have said these things to you that in me you might have what? But in the world you will have tribulation, trouble and trial, pains and problems. This world is nothing but tribulation. This world is nothing but trouble. This world is nothing but trial. This world is nothing but pain. This world is nothing but problems. And the question is, how can I possibly have any peace in a peaceless world, have any joy in a joyless world, have any hope in a hopeless world? I have good news for you. You are of the kingdom of God. If you belong to Jesus, you are not of the world. For the non-Christian, this is as close to heaven as they will ever be. For the Christian, this is as close to hell as we will ever be. For those who do not know God, this is the best of all eternity. For the believer, this is the worst of all eternity. It is good to see the finish line and to know the finished work of Jesus. He says, but take heart, let your heart be calm, let your heart be peaceful, let your heart be joyful, let your heart be restful for I have what? Overcome the world. It's the whole world against Jesus. And Jesus says, this is not a problem. Now in this moment, Jesus is on the precipice of dying. And what that looks like is that the world is winning. If you were to see Jesus crucified, you would think God has lost and the world has won. There's a little statement in Isaiah where it says that God hides his victory in defeat. Jesus was dying for you. Jesus was dying for me. And in his death was our victory and in his resurrection was the hope of our eternity. Let me explain it to you this way. If you're trying to find peace in this world, you are doomed to pain. If you seek peace in relationship with God, it will give you an internal peace that will get you through the pain of this world until you're in the presence of God forever. I'll give you an analogy. Um, recently, I was, any of you dads? We were talking about the mom's dads. How many of you dads have your chair? Okay, I don't have a verse for it, but. It's just what we do. We have a chair, okay? And that's dad's chair. Dad's chair always reclines, right? Because dad's back is always hurting. I don't know why it's like this, but this is how it is. So dad leans back in his chair. I sat recently in my dad's chair, because that's what we do. And I grabbed the remote control, because that's what we do. And I turned on the TV, because that's what we do. And I picked two channels, because that's what we do. One was my A channel. And then when the commercials come on, I go to my 
channel because that's what we do. Amen, brother. Okay, so on my A channel was the news. Current history and events that have an unknown future and an uncertain ending. And I'll be honest, it was a little nerve wracking and a little concerning and a little discomforting. And then during the commercial breaks, I would flip over to the history channel. I don't know why they call it the history channel. They should call it the Hitler channel because he's the only one who's ever on the history channel. (laughs) So I flip over to the Hitler channel and they're also, both of them, it dawns on me, they're both news channels. What's the difference? One's old news. I wasn't nearly as anxious or stressed. I was not like, oh my gosh, this Hitler guy's a situation. Oh, he's got tanks, he's got guns, he's got, oh! Somebody stop him, somebody stop him, somebody. You know why? I know, I know he's taking a dirt nap. It's all good, right, it's fine. I know it's over. So I find myself very anxious watching the news and very calm watching the History Channel. I kid you not, I'm watching the History Channel, I fell asleep. (laughs) I was not worried about Hitler. For God, everything is the History Channel. For you and I, everything is the news. For you and I, it's trouble, tribulation and trial. It is pains and problems. For God, it is not a problem. Jesus has overcome the world. Hmm. Your life is gonna be okay. Your eternity is gonna be okay. The fears you have are real. The savior you have is real. The tribulation in the world is real. The supernatural peace that God gives his people to endure the tribulation of the world is real. We're gonna respond in a couple of ways. We're gonna ask you to give your worst, give your sin to Jesus. Give your burden to Jesus. Give your fear to Jesus. Give your anxiety to Jesus. Give your reputation to Jesus. Give your future to Jesus. We're gonna ask you to give your best. I'll bring the ushers forward at this time. We'll collect our tithes and offerings. This is how we give to the God who gave. This is how we participate in the sending out of the great, glorious, and good news that someone has overcome the world. Amen? we are going to partake of communion where we remember Jesus' broken body, shed blood in our place for our sins. And as the band comes up to prepare us for worship, I would submit to you that the fact that God had his body broken and his blood shed for you, it is a tremendously wonderful thing that God would love you so deeply and dearly that he would take away sin and restore relationship and promise to always be with you, to there, to help you, to comfort you, to encourage you and to forgive you. I want you to know that Jesus is a relational God and Jesus is a good God, amen? And then we're going to sing. And when we sing, we are 
aligning our hearts with the will of God. We are inviting our lives into the presence of God. We are welcoming the peace that Jesus promises to be in us and through us because in the world we have tribulation, but in Christ we have peace. You are dear people. I love you with all my heart. I really do. I thank you for the honor of teaching you God's word. Um, If you are willing to receive God's grace and his provision and his presence, God wants to come right now. He wants to unburden you. He wants to give you hope. He wants you to push through the pain. He has life and something new to birth in and through your life on the other side of the pain. I don't know what that is, but I'm excited for you and I look forward to seeing it and celebrating it. And in the meantime, what we're gonna do, we're gonna worship Jesus because we need to. Lord Jesus, we come to worship you now. And uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Uh, Lord Jesus, you promised that the Holy Spirit would glorify you. So Holy Spirit, we now consecrate this as a space that belongs to the kingdom and not the world. It is a place of peace and not tribulation. It is a place of faith and not fear. It is a place of hope and not hopelessness. And Lord Jesus, I pray for these dear people, whatever pain that they are facing, suffering and enduring, that you would give them the grace to push through the pain so that you could birth something that is fresh and new and joyful and alive on the other side of the pain. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I can publicly testify that you have done that through the Driscoll family. And this church is birthed and it's a cute little two-year-old and it is beautiful and healthy. And every time I see these people, I'm reminded, Lord Jesus, that your word is true and that you are good and that you have good for these dear people. And so I ask for your presence to lead and guide and minister to and unburden, encourage and bless these dear people in Jesus' good name. Amen. Love you. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.